On this week's Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about creativity during a crisis. I'll be joined by Mark Noble, Marketing Manager, Heineken Brand at Heineken Ireland, as we discuss how the pandemic impacted marketing plans for one of Ireland's leading brands and how Heineken adapted and reacted to the portfolio plans getting thrown into turmoil. So stay tuned as we ask what lessons can be learned from creativity in a crisis only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome. This week, we're talking about creativity in a crisis, and I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Noble, Marketing Manager, Heineken Brand at Heineken Ireland. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Dave. Great to, great to be here. Yeah, good. I know you're a big fan of the podcast, so it's great to have you on. And, and as I said before, I gave you the kind of the bad scheduling. We had Sir John Hegarty last time, and, and now I've put you in after that. So I feel a bit bad, but like I think this is going to be way better. I, just, I know it's going to be way better. Um, Your numbers will plummet, Steve. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. They're all pretty consistent, actually. It doesn't really matter. Um, they're all in a kind of a certain range. I guess the, the industry is quite niche. So um, before we jump in, are you back in the office now, or kind of what's the model? How, how are you guys approaching working? Not yet. We um, we're we're sort of in on if we really really need to be if if there's some specific sessions that you just can't do virtually but it you know for obviously the, the government guidance have kind of has kind of changed again a little bit and we just mm-hmm. we just abide that so it probably won't be for this side of Christmas uh, back in property and then beyond that you know it's probably two days a week in the office which which is quite nice to to, to think about uh, just that flexibility is, is one of the good things of, of what we've gone through I guess yeah totally we're we're getting refurbed on so um yeah we're not we're not in yet we'll have limited people back in I think in first of November I think like so yeah it's a bit the same as you looking forward to it I think it'll be a better way of working generally it's better for people so anyway we're gonna we'll we'll crack on um you wrote an article and it's in the Irish Times today and it's it, it pretty much about how creativity has to be the first line of defense in, in you know in diff well kind of at all times but in, in particularly in difficult times so before we we jump into that specifically like the impact that the pandemic had has been absolutely, you know, catastrophic to, to certain industries. So, and particularly, I think in terms of the industry you're in, so it was crippling on pubs. And I know, I know, in terms, of, I work across lots of different categories, and I know that a lot of behaviour has changed. So, and um, we had no choice about certain things, shops and, and and a lot of and pubs and things like that were closed. So, um, and I also read there's lots of different reports that are that our alcohol consumption probably increased slightly during the pandemic. Which again, there wasn't. I never felt guilty about that myself because there wasn't an awful lot to do. So, but I want to start off with a broad question, really. So, we're consuming more alcohol at home. So the occasions have changed, and 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 there is a kind of a big difference between the on trade shopper and the off trade shopper. Not 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 the person, the actual occasion itself. So. There are slightly different in terms of attitude and experience. You know, I know there's a lot more choice in the off-trade. It's quite overwhelming. It's kind of like a wine. You can be sometimes more experimental with different things. You just don't want to spend time in a pub, you know, kind of looking at the, the long line of taps and figuring out what you're going to have. You tend to stick to what you know. And people, I think, are probably more, maybe, I mean, you notice more than me, they're probably more price conscious, um, maybe more experimental, but price conscious in the off-trade. So a lot of things going on. And um, I've, I have two questions for you. Did you change your kind of off-trade strategy or did you change your marketing mix overall, just in kind of recognition of that balance and shift between on-trade to off-trade? And does it concern you? Are you worried? Do you think that people have got used to not going to pubs and that decline will accelerate now more than it had before? Yeah, I, I guess we, we didn't really, apart from the obvious, uh, the fact that the pubs were closed for so long, um, our off-trade strategy in itself didn't really change. We, we've got a really strong sort of off-trade, off-trade business. I guess from a, a wider commercial perspective, what it meant there was, there was just maybe less room for error. Um, you know, things like, you know, our supply chain with as you say kind of demand was was heightened needed to be a hundred percent when you're mm. bringing in uh cases of beer and cider from outside of ireland you needed to make sure that that was you know really really accurate uh to to, to make sure you're able to to facilitate the demand i think from a a marketing perspective yeah we we needed to recalibrate i guess what we could offer shoppers in terms of like enhancing that 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 shopping experience to stand out you know as you say there are you know, every brand under the sun that you can think of is available in your local supermarket. Uh, and I think from from our perspective, it was around, you know, very simple stuff. But, you know, was, was your packaging right? Uh, was there any optimizations that you need to make? You know, your activations, you couldn't rely on things that you would have done in the past because, for example, you couldn't give away tickets to matches because the matches weren't taking yeah. place. So what things you could do? 
Um, and, and I think, you know, strong brands with strong equity, you know, even regardless if there's a lot of choice, they're the brands that will will always win. Um, and that's kind of the reality of it. And I think in the in the short term, if you look ahead, yeah, there's, there has obviously been a, a, a shift in terms of our behaviours at the minute as, as, as consumers. Um, and, and I guess as that kind of transition uh, of the hospitality industry reopening and mm-hmm. back up to full speed, there will be... You know, people will stay at home a little more, but at the end of the day, there's there's nothing quite like a, you know a cold, fresh pint of draft beer or cider, and the theatre, the atmosphere, the sense of of community in, in a pub or a bar or a restaurant. You can't yeah. replicate at home, and so yeah, I would expect at some stage, you know, that that rebirth of the Irish hospitality industry. You know, it'll be big, it'll be back, it'll be bigger, and it'll be stronger than it maybe ever has been. Yeah, well, here, yeah, I'll drink to that. Here's hoping um, that that happens. So you touch on this there now, because it, it, it wasn't just that the pubs closed. That would have been bad enough. I think it was everything. It was all you know, gigs, festivals, sporting occasions, and, and pretty much everything where we gather as as social creatures. And, and what we tend to do is we, we tend to have a beer when, when we're at those things. So, um, and I know experiential is actually huge. It's a huge marketing pillar for, for big brands like Heineken. So did you change strategy in the interim? So, I mean, you know, you talk about the importance of experiential and you know that as well as well as I do. So was there anything, did you kind of have to lean into any online things and say, I know you can't replicate the experience of going to a match online or stuff like that and that, that social connection, but did you do anything? Did you try any new things, experiment to try and create digital experiences or enhance digital experience during the pandemic? Yeah, I think like one, if you can bring out positives of the pandemic, it allowed us to try different things. You yeah. know, we, we've got a, a really rich heritage, whether it's um, in rugby with, you know, 25 years of the Heineken mm-hmm. uh, Champions Cup. When things like that just stop overnight, I think that the first reaction is, oh my goodness, what, how, how, do you, how do you keep going? What do you do? What do you fall back on? And then your second reaction almost is, okay, this is, difficult for us, but it's also more difficult for, for our partners at the other side. And then this is literally what they do for a living. And, and yeah. that's kind of away from, from them. And then third is the how do you work together to get through it? Uh, and I think digital offered us some really nice examples over the course of the pandemic uh, to lean into a little bit of nostalgia at times. And nostalgia is a, a brilliant sort of a emotion or tool to evoke you know positive positive memories in a time when things aren't very positive mm-hmm. uh, and we would have done some great work with uh, the epcr who uh, managed the heineken champions cup to to create sort of content that lived on their platforms and then supported our own platforms to to help people look fondly back at, at the big moments and obviously from an irish perspective there have been huge moments within the heineken cup over the last 25 years so that that gave mm-hmm. us opportunities to, to to look at that but I think as well, you know, beyond our, our sponsorships, beyond our platforms, you know, brands also have to stand on their own two feet uh, yeah. and be for something other than just uh, a pint or a, yeah. a, a, a what you consume at a festival or a match. And, you know, that it gives, I guess, maybe more of a an opportunity for a more balanced approach, you know, reminding people around quality messages, reminding mm-hmm. people, I guess, more contextual type and, you know, digital, we're no different to any kind of organization. The, the desire to test and learn through digital gives you huge opportunities. Just do things that you maybe haven't done previously and learn from it and, and bring things to life. And we've also, you know, obviously we've got Heineken Zero Zero, which, which gives us a, a completely different yeah. way of engaging with consumers. So, you know, for all the negatives, there were some positives in terms of things that you hadn't thought of maybe in the past that you could try and lean into a little bit more. Yeah, and what, look, it was like we've been through recessions before, so we so we we kind of know how to you know advertise or or what the rules are to kind of how to maintain marketing investment, how important it is during a recession. But I think the, the weird thing about this is that like we've never been in this situation before because it wasn't it wasn't a recession, and it was kind of look just being hit by like a train. It was just you know a complete paralysis and, and caused a lot of inertia. And I know. At the very start of the pandemic, lots of clients, understandably, they 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 pulled marketing spend just in the interim because we didn't know what was going on, how long it was going to go on, and I think there was a kind of we were getting asked questions about what's the right thing to do. Should we just should we just run this campaign? You know, we just created this this brand new creative a couple of months ago. Should we run it or not? I think for a lot of clients to, to pull the spend was the right thing to do because I think you know some ads just didn't make sense because you know things were closed or just I think you didn't want to come across like you were emotionally tone deaf just running your ads as if nothing had gone on but then also what we saw was quite quickly 
Um, after that, we saw like a raft of COVID comms. I'm going I'm to touch on that in a minute, just in terms of the, the, the sea of sameness that came with them. There's a lot, there's too many uh, that I thought that came out, but I understand why people did it. Um, and then there was just categories that just had to go on. Like, you know, it's like, like Vodafone, you know, they, they just, it, it's business as usual. Life goes on, technology, a lot of categories weren't really affected at all. So um, it was a, a strange time. What was your overall approach to marketing during that period in terms of how you you backed certain brands or your portfolio? What, what was the, what was the kind of the big approach that the Heineken took strategically as you kind of, you know, got, got through a little bit and understood how long we might be in this period? Yeah, I, I guess you have to go back and, and, and remember like, this all kind of came to the fore the day before St. Patrick's Day, you know, a yeah. day where we all, you know, celebrate what it means to be Irish. Uh, it's a real occasion for for going into, into pubs and bars and meeting friends. And so, you know, I guess we we are not like we're we're the same as every other organization out there. There there was no dummies guide how to uh, proceed during a pandemic. And I think, you know, what we had to do first of all is we had to take a breath and try and understand, you know, again, if you go back to that moment, initially we thought it was two weeks. Yeah. Then it was then it was two months and what it what it is now nearly two years later, we're 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 kind of still um we're still in the in the same place, although slightly slightly better. And I think first of all, what we what we did as a team and as a portfolio, we we made sure that we we were we were able to deliver on the essentials. So from a you know, obviously I work on the Heineken brand, but the Heineken portfolio is a very broad portfolio of 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 really beautiful brands that we've developed and, and worked on for many years. And there was no, I guess, no desire to kind of let the let the roof fall in on on any of the brands. So yeah. all of the really basic hygiene kind of factors. Uh, that, that we we needed to do to keep the lights on uh, across our portfolio, we, we we made those decisions pretty quickly and, and and then kept going on them, and then that kind of mean, meant that we needed to make sure that our commitments to any partners were accounted for, all the suppliers we worked with. So a lot of the first maybe month was almost looking at our budget, looking at numbers that we we had committed to, and stuff that we then just had to do, and and there are things you just cannot walk away from. And then when we got to maybe a month in, we 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 took a collective decision that, you know, funnily enough, Heineken is the name above the door and it's the crown jewels in our portfolio. And mm. we almost wanted to treat it as the the lighthouse kind of brand to, to progress. And we reworked essentially all of our plans kind of had to be reworked. Heineken brand, nothing was going to to be meaningful to to a consumer over the course of the immediate kind of six months after we went into lockdown. And and we kind of looked at you know it, and I guess the sentiment we had at the time from a business perspective was if we could win the summer in terms of the yeah. performance of the off trade then we would still be able to win the year in the context that we were operating in and so we did we we re-diverted a, a lot of our budget towards the Heineken brand to keep our saliency there with consumers to keep our brand just you know visible uh, mm. over the period and, and again we didn't know how long that would have to be. And it's evolved since then. And, and obviously, as the time has gone on, we can bring more investment back into more brands and let other, other brands do some really beautiful work. Uh, but at that moment, you know, I guess all eyes were, were on us and then on the Heineken brand. Yeah, and, and we, we, we'll get into a little bit. We kind of unpack that a little bit as we, as we, as we move, as we chat later. I, I talked about this and... Yeah, look, I've been a fan of the Heineken ads for a lot of reasons. We'll touch on some of that. But I, I remember at the time, I think loads of brands, far too many brands came out with, with cliched ads. It wasn't just even like in Ireland, so overspill from UK stations. They're all pretty cliched. Like they all look the same. The kind of drone shots of the empty streets, the boarded up shops, the, the kind of, you know, piano, soft, piano tees, kind of keys, melancholy, you know, all this kind of... They all look the same, cut to people sitting in front of a laptop with kind of on a Zoom call and talking to loved ones. And there was an awful lot of campaigns. I just became blind to a lot of the stuff because they because they did all look and feel and sound the same. But I do remember at the time, well, that's God, it must be quite early into lockdown. I've seen it kind of a, a version of I don't even know if it was on Irish TV or not, of the, the Fresh Beginnings campaign, the, the Heineken campaign. Um, and it was promoting as we were kind of going back into the pubs, so, social responsibility. So, you know. Um, and actually what I, what I liked about that ad, because it, it played out a very lighthearted scenario of how people might interact or, you know, the new social n- norms of how, how we kind of even walk past somebody in a corridor as we try and open the, the door, the toilet or whatever, the bathroom. And it just made me smile. So that's the first time I remember about it. I, I remember looking at it and going, that's really, that's a really nice ad. I thought it was quite, it was quite brave at the time because I think 
the easiest thing to do and, and what all the brands were trying to do was to kind of come at this in a really serious whole face kind of way. But I think what was great about it was it was really true to the brand. So it, it, it was like, it was a welcome relief to, to the kind of, to how, how serious and the, the gravity of the situation that was going on. But it put a smile on my face and it didn't, and it didn't make light of it. So I thought if you got that wrong, that could have been an absolute disaster. But I think, I think it was brilliant. So, I mean, you've been very consistent as a brand and you've always had this humor. It's not laugh out loud. It's not going to burst into tears when you see an ad, you know, crying, laughing. It just, it puts a smile on your face a lot of time. That's what it does. And that's what you're known for consistently through the years. Um, it's not something that comes and goes with new campaigns or, you know, I spoke to Sir John Hegarty in this episode last time and he he kind of mentioned an ad. I didn't know it. The 1985, the Heineken's Water in Mallorca, um, Water in Mallorca as, as, as it is. And um, one of the reasons why I look back at that and I go, it's the same, it's the exact same personality, the same kind of putting a smile on your face. And I think that's one of the key reasons of, of Heineken's success is that consistency. So, Long intro um, to get us to this question, but how important is it to stay true to the brand in terms of the DNA of your brand, even when you're talking about like what, what can be slightly more sensitive or serious topics, like the way you address that one? Is that something that's hard to do or something that's kind of you always strive to do? There's a couple of a couple of ways to answer that. You know, first of all, I, I have a lot of sympathy for brands who who kind of uh, jumped in the bandwagon uh, and, and and brought out kind of very kind of similar similar campaigns. Again, there was there was no dummies guide to, to mm. how you in, in, at the moment but i think it, it also comes back to just because you can do something doesn't mean you should mm. uh, and and for us you know having that north star having that you know what is the role of the brand in consumers lives what is what do people know about it that doesn't change um and and i think what changes is just maybe how you ensure that there's a relevance to the message you know but we're a brand for i don't know 160 years where we're, we've encouraged people to come together in social moments and i guess within the industry that we, we we operate in you know when you're a big brand very high profile you know spontaneous awareness north of 50 percent yeah when, when you've encouraged people for so long to to come together we felt it was right to kind of communicate a message that it's it's important that you that you socialize responsibly abide by government guidelines abide by the rules in place but we couldn't do it in a way that kind of took yeah. us away from star you know and and that's why you know whether you look at whether it's a heineken rugby ad whether it's whether it's fresh beginnings whether it's a zero zero ad you can tell it's a heineken ad yeah. almost in the few seconds before you even see the brand you know the memory structures that we have in place it's so important that you don't move away from it. You know, when you've got so many platforms, so many messages that you you can tell and you can share, that means that that you're not wanting individual campaigns. You're wanting, you know, a, a sum of a multiple campaigns to ladder up to something that feels bigger, that feels connected. Uh, and that's something that's just so important. And if you can't be consistent, and if you can't stay stay true to that North Star, then you just become schizophrenic. And, yeah. And, will then struggle to really understand well who is this brand or what are they talking about or why are they saying this yeah you have oh well, you have to have a point of view which is fine and i think some brands have done it really really well but again it comes back to you know re- depending on your role with it with your consumers with your audience with the industry that you're operating in you know it doesn't you know everybody could come out with a covid ad if we want mm. to call it a COVID. not everybody should have that's kind of the approach that we took we felt we had a role because i guess of the focus on the industry focus on i guess the challenges that 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 our customers were under that that it was the right thing to do but we had to do it in our own way yeah and it looks it's like it's like anything in life it, it when it when it's done well it looks like it looks quite effortless and i think there's a kind of remarkable effortlessness if that's in terms of the humor and the the, the style of the Heineken ads and we talked about this before like even the James Bond ad kind of the urge to to overcomplicate things can sometimes be overwhelming because when i think about the style of Heineken ads so they've always been levity lighthearted tongue in cheek you know smile but not it's not trying too hard i think now that must be you say it there as if it's quite easy but I know from working on on loads of different brands and loads of different categories, marketing directors come and go over the years. And actually what happens is that the new brush tends to sweep clean. So I've seen it too often. I've seen brands that under the tenure of a new CMO, um, maybe they were about lightheartedness and and then suddenly they kind of switch and, oh no, we're now kind of 
leaning into kind of being more artisanal or something like that. And it, it sometimes I think that the urge to change everything um, which which comes with a new CMO sometimes just becomes irresistible. So I guess it is, is the brand personality within Heineken that kind of, I mean, you can change your North Star. I mean, brands have kind of changed their North Star in terms of where they go, but Heineken have stayed true to this. So is that something that is sacrosanct to the brand? Um, and is it something that you you kind of, irrespective of who is in the leadership position in terms of CMO, it is something that kind of remains sacrosanct. It's kind, it's kind of so precious that we can't change it. Or is it just, it's just worked forever and I'm overthinking it. Well, I, I think it comes back to the, to the heart. Like Heineken obviously is a, a huge brand that's available in most countries across the world, but it started as a family business. Yeah. And, and the DNA of the, of the brand is the DNA of the family and the personality that, that has gone through generation to generation to generation. It's drilled into to every person who works for, for the organization, whether you're in Dublin, whether you're in London, or whether you're in New York. It's it's the same kind of focus that you, we, we are gatekeepers. We are we we pass the torch, whether it's whether you're the marketing director or you're a new ABM, like we we all know that we have a fleeting role mm-hmm. and a fleeting time in this story of our brand and our and our portfolio brands. And I guess there's this, it's quite nice in a way that there's this recognition that, you know, all we have to do in our role is pass on the brand to the next person as strong as it was whenever yeah. we got. Yeah. And, and the, the marketing director, yeah, obviously has a, a pivotal role across the opcos, but and, and they're almost like the, the conductor of the orchestra. But it's the orchestra that plays the music, you know, and so it's, it's that attitude that enables and facilitates collaboration and two-way discussions. And, and you know, even if I look at it as well from a local level, we have marketeers in Heineken Ireland who are not working in the marketing department. So we that yeah. kind of that sense check across, you know, what is right. You know, if you, you know, if, if people want to go on a solo run, you get you can get called out quite quickly. Right. And, and I a really positive thing because it it means then that that consistency, that DNA, that personality, it has to be kind of part of what we do at all times. Yeah, and, and it really matter who's in the role to do it, but that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, and again, when you stick a thing so long, you you made the point there about consistency and not being schizophrenic, and it, it is it's it's bizarre. I I do get the urge to change sometimes, and particularly I think maybe I mean you've probably like any brand you've probably had waves and things are going really well, market share, things probably not dipped a little bit, but you've been consistent. And I think that consistency in terms of your brand strength is probably driven by the fact that you, you've stuck at what you were doing. You haven't changed things too often. I think we change things way too often. And part of you said is because it is that, you know, change in leadership teams when people come in that they just want to change everything. We've talked about over the podcast in the last number of months, it comes up quite a lot. The fact that marketing doesn't cut through like it used to anymore. Uh, Heineken, like you make some pretty good ads. Again, like anything else, you've stuck true to the the tone and the personality. But like from my point of view, there's some some kind of periods that I liked, some periods that I didn't like in terms of some of the comments. I think sometimes it, it wasn't great. It, it seems to be really, really good now. I really like what you're doing now. But what's the process? So how do you make sure that when you're, you know, you talked about this in your article about making ads that kind of somebody in Ireland is actually going to care about that they're going to resonate about. So how do you how do you kind of demonstrate any empathy for or, or understanding for your target audience when you're kind of thinking of that creativity? Yeah, I guess maybe a theme of of, of the chat today. It's it has to be simple. Um, you know, I'm I'm a Fermanagh man. Fermanagh people don't do things that are complex, and we don't understand <sighs> things that are complex. You know, so it has to be simple for us to for, for for me to understand it. And I think it starts it starts really, we've got a, a brilliant sort of market intelligence team. So kind of our, our internal CMI function um, and the amount of information that we as teams get on consumer behavior, consumer attitude, no, no more so important than the last 18 months when things have just been so disrupted. But for me, then the the important step is is as I say in the article is it's by bringing it back to the fact that consumers are people. They're your dad, they're your mum, they're mm. your brother, sister. So it's trying to make sure that internally we we remove the kind of I guess the 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 risk of of marketing bullshit. If I'm yeah, allowed to say, you are, and, and bring it down to back down to the level where it has to it has to feel real, and that, and that's something that you know when we're talking to our agency groups. Uh, whether it's whether it's creating comms, whether it's doing our, our media plan, whether it's developing XP kind of plans, is why, why should somebody give a shit about this? Yeah. You know, people 
lives. Like people don't people aren't obsessed with brands like maybe they used to be, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Loyalty is not the same as it used to be 30, 40, 50 years ago because there is so much choice. Yeah. You need to bring it back to the person and to um, you know, bringing it back to can you explain that insight or a common belief or a creative territory in such a simple way that it feels so familiar. Yeah. And it's almost, of course, that's what you're going to do. And why haven't you done it before? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's where you can kind of go. And I think the journey that we've been on as a business, you know, I've worked for Heineken in Dublin for for the last uh, couple of years, but also in London. And I think the transition and the journey we've been on as an organization is is making sure that things feel real to people. Yeah. Um, Because you can lose sight and, and. for all of the investment, all of the really smart people that you might work with, if you if you lose sight that this has to kind of make a difference, and what, what's the reaction to your mom and dad? Uh, what's the reaction to your 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 friend? You know, it's it's lovely. I, I remember coming in my first week and uh, was speaking to a cleaner in the office, and uh, I said, "My name is Mark. I'm the new marketing manager in Heineken. How are you?" And, and she said, "Yeah, I didn't like the last ad you put on, <laughs> but there was that feeling in our yeah. organization. It's, it's really." It's acceptable that to, you know yeah. we're all investing, we're all feeding back into it, and that 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 keeps you honest. You yeah. know, and I think you know when you add all of the kind of you know the high tech, the the complicated tools you have at your disposal, but then bringing it back to reality. Yeah, that's that's what makes you do stuff that 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 kind of will have an impact. You know. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Because I like I, I sometimes. I sometimes I'm in meetings and I go like, what are we talking about here? Because I think sometimes we forget like. Like we're all quite invested in this. We're all we're all way too close to whatever we're doing. Like whatever the campaign is, whatever the brand is, we're like it's our job. Essentially, it's not my full time job, but it's obviously it's a client's full time job, and it's, and it's a big part of my life when I'm doing it. But I forget most consumers don't care. They don't actually care that much about it. And some of the things I hear, I don't say before. I've said it myself. I've been in meetings. I go, oh my god, if my mates could hear me now, see what I'm saying, they, they'd never talk to me again. They'd say, who are you? Like, you're a totally different person. What are you talking about? Like this kind of echo chamber of marketing nonsense that goes on sometimes. So I think that realness, is, it's great. Um, and it comes through. That's the saying. The ads look, yeah, as I said, effortless, I think, at times. So um, you're a great marketing. You are a great marketing company. Uh, you're a company that does great marketing, shall I say. You're not You're not a marketing company. You're a food and drinks business. That's what you are. That's the category you're in. So, but you make great marketing. So how difficult was it trying to continue that that process of, of creating great work in a world where you couldn't meet any anybody anymore. So everything had to be done on teams and particularly at the start, I guess it was harder. But did you find the creative process more difficult in terms of working with your agency partners and everyone just having to be remote? Or actually did you think, well, you know what, you know, the first thing we did was probably a bit a bit difficult. But as we got through it now, today where we are, I actually think there was a lot of positivity come out of it. So do you want to go completely back to the old way of working with agency partners? We all have to be in a room, locked in a room for even two day immersion sessions or what's your view on that? How's that going to work? It's funny because obviously there's so many negatives over the last 18 months. I personally weirdly enjoyed the creative process uh, kind of in in, in times of, of, of lockdown and doing it virtually. And I think there's a couple of reasons, you know, First of all, when when we had the things in our in our locker when when they weren't relevant in the moment and you had to move quickly, you then have to trust your gut a little bit more mm. uh, and and almost not give yourself that time to overthink something or spoil a good idea, mm. you know. And, and I think there was just that the onus on 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 teams. I'm sure it's outside of Heineken as well, where you know you can overthink things, as you said. You can you can make up something really pure, really beautiful. And, you, and, it, you, and at the end, the bastardized version of yeah. it is not what it was originally. And I, and I don't th- I think almost in a, in a sense, because we had to hit the reset button on so many things, you couldn't. And, and I think what that meant was that in the relationship, you know, from our side with our with our agency partners was was probably a lot closer. You know, the, the process had to be different. It had to be more collaborative. We couldn't be doing like, you know, give the brief a period of silence, first yeah. response period of silence, feedback, period of silence. You know, it had to be more iterative. It had to be sharing ideas right the way through the journey. Like that, that I I, I always dislike the big reveal. Yeah. You know, I don't as a, as a, my the way my mind works, I, I like to know what I'm going to see yeah. 
feel comfortable in that rather than you know and I guess it's, it, that that's just maybe my, my own personal work and style but I, but I like to be involved in things and a good example is when we're you know we were working on, on our our perfect match campaign the relationship you know myself and Jer Rowe, who many of the listeners listeners will know from Publicist Dublin, I was getting more WhatsApp messages from Jer than I was from my wife. Yeah, uh, and I don't know. On reflection, I'm not sure if that was a good thing <laughs> or a bad thing. But that connection and the, the, yeah. the, you know, we were we were, felt those we were all in it yeah. together. It's a phrase that people have banded in, in slightly different contexts, but you know, when when you knew you had to deliver something fast, you had to deliver something good, and you had to deliver something that connected with with people. You couldn't do it by yourself, you know, and you had to then bring it to life. And and trying to do it virtually made it difficult in one sense, but in another sense, you know, it it was it was very positive. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I'm like you. I mean, I what the agencies probably prefer to do the big reveal. Look, give us a brief, leave us alone, let us go away and work on it for a month or with a six weeks or whatever, and let us come back. And I say to people like, because there's people in in. They go, oh, the client wants us to have a kind of a, a, an interim catch-up session. And I always think it's a good thing to do. But I, I get from their point of view, they're, they're thinking, well, I don't want to go in and kind of give the idea away until I've been able to kind of explain it in full detail. I said, I know, but isn't it better that if you're going down the wrong road now or then the client's not going to like it, it's better that you're told that now before we've gone off and, you know, brief media owners come back with the, the full extension of that campaign and what it looks like you're, you're better off to know early I, I always find that these these that's a far better way of working because you kind of get early fever it happened to us in a couple of things we had a couple of ideas now we took to you and for whatever reason and across different brands um we're told yeah it's just you know it's not in the right place so and it's better to call that now than to leave it drag on we like to think that we provide you with the perfect brief every single time Probably half the time, if if at most, the brief actually is is helpful, and sometimes it can be yeah. a hindrance. Yeah, no, true. You know, but if you're if you go back to that cycle where you give a brief and then you you let the agency go off, there's no there's no opportunity just to challenge on the brief. And I yeah. think that's it's a conversation, and I think we're all big enough and bold enough to be able to have conversations, or or at least you should be, and uh, to try and really understand it, because I think that's where. 90% of the times when when there is a big reveal and the big reveal maybe doesn't sit or fit with the, yeah. the client was expecting, it was because the brief wasn't right. But you don't know that to the yeah, end. Yeah. Time and resource and effort. And uh, like this has to, has to stay in place, this kind of, I guess, collaborative uh, approach to these types of developments. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. The idea that we'll go off and lock ourselves in a room and you'll hear from us, it's just, it's not a good way of working. It's not good from the agency's point of view, I don't think as well. Like pr- primarily from our point of view, um, it causes us to burn hours on stuff that's not needed. So, um, but overall, just thinking about that, how difficult has the last 20 months, two years been in terms of, you know, Overall, just trying to have to change things, you know, be more on the fly. It has been really difficult and has been difficult trying to keep the momentum behind your business without the lack of kind of even the on-trade and experiences. How, how tough has it been? I mean, I was speaking to a colleague yesterday who's much smarter than I am, and, and she rightly said, you know, this period, the last 18 months, this has been the biggest impact on mankind since probably World War II. Mm. And, and, and obviously it's very different to that, but it's two years of our lives where it's for everybody, it's been tough mentally, it's been tough physically, it's been tough at work, it's been tough at home. And, and I think it's really important not to underestimate what that impact will have on, on people. And, and as we go back in, I guess, into a normal world, it won't be like we'll all go back into the office one day and the next day everything will be, you know, happy clappy. And yeah. it's going to be a transition for us all. And I think from a like a work perspective, I think the things that I've learned, you know, first of all, just resilience you know, and, and trying to trying to encourage myself initially, but also the team that I work with is you can't you couldn't get attached to things as much as we would have. Yeah. You know, things that you're working on. There was there was no worse feeling as a as a manager than saying at the start of the pandemic, do you know that project you've been working on for the last nine months? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Like that's heartbreaking. And like people invest so much time and effort into things. So the resilience needed, and I think we've all become quite strong in that sense yeah. uh, it's not easy and, and i think then as a you know i've had different managers in my career and, and different styles and, and i think one of the things that's so important is is this uh, sense of vulnerability that we should all be showing and it's okay to know everything anymore and it's okay not to you know we're not swans like perfect on the surface but i'm, I'm going mm. like a clap 
It's like be real with your team because if you can't connect with them, then in in a, the last five months it's just been brutal. Yeah. And that compassion that you need to show for people, like as I said, like every single person that you would have spoken to in the last 20 months has been impacted. You might not be able to see it, might not be really visible or really kind of come to the fore. But if you as a, as, you know, a, a, well, first of all, as, as a person, and then as a, if you're a manager, if you're a leader in an organization, I guess the amount of effort that I personally would have put into trying to to connect and reconnect yeah. and reconnect again, because it's, it's so easy to lose it. You know, when you're sitting behind a screen, back to back to back meetings, you know, from nine until five, and, and you might go you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks without seeing that person mm. might not be in your direct team, but somebody you would have seen at lunchtime every day for the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just been really tough. And I think, but I think it also shows that the, the strength of a good team will come through it. And, and I think whether that's a good brand team, whether it's a good cross agency team in years gone past, you can have a, a team of individual superstars yeah, you need a superstar team. It's a bit like the Man United analogy at the minute. You know, let's not go. Let's not go there. Don't, don't go there. there maybe. The talent and the pitch is there, but if you're not able to to be strong as a unit, then it's that is it's yeah. game over. So maybe a bit deep, but um, that's that's kind of the experience, I guess, for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Let, and we'll skip. I'm going to edit out the Man United comments. So um, yeah, because I know uh, even talking to Jim last last week, he was slagging me. So it's dark times for Man United. Uh, one of the things that like. And we didn't know we were expecting a big recession at the end of this. And it has been quite a, an, an undemocratic pandemic to a degree. So a lot of people are coming out of this financially stronger than they were when, they went, when going into it. Um, but I think when you think about certain sectors, hospitality has been absolutely crippled. So, you know, and it's all very well trying to stimulate demand in terms of consumer facing campaigns. But you talked about this earlier on a little bit about, about, about being empathy, having empathy for your audience, but also, you know, which is something we don't have to do. We're in the kind of... Um, B to C communications thing, but your trade partners, the pubs, how have Heineken, like what are some of the initiatives you guys have done to try and support them? I mean, it's been crippling, but how, what have you done or what are you doing to try and like, not in media, I can see, yeah, I can see you do a campaign on TV. That's great. It's all fine. You're stimulating consumer growth, but what are you doing feeding the street for, for the publicans and the hospitality sector? Yeah, I think, I think first of all, it comes back to being real and, and to showing, you know, treating people like people. And, and we're lucky, you know, there's 300 odd employees in Heineken Ireland. Uh, and for, for so many of us, the, the customers or suppliers or people who we work with outside of Heineken Ireland, you know, they've become friends for so many years. And, and when you look at the impact on the hospitality sector, it's so important that each and every one of us remembered, you know, these, these customers are people. Uh, people for many of whom are running their own small family-run business. And, and I guess as we've progressed through the pandemic, we, we really clearly saw that they needed two things. They need a bit of hope mm. and, lots, and lots of help. Lots, like Whether that was an issue working in sales, marketing, finance, wherever, that's at the end of the day what we kind of wanted to do as a collective organization. Um, and, and one of the things that we're really proud of is uh, a program that we call Fresh Beginnings that you alluded to, but that, that kind of was born by through a cross-functional team uh, within Heineken Ireland. So sales, marketing, the channel right. team, finance and HR, we all came together and pulled our, our, I guess, our collective resources, our collective creativity. Because yeah. as I said in the article, creativity doesn't have to solely live in the domain of a marketeer. Mm-hmm. And, and we brought it all together. And, and, and I guess this was our, I guess, attempt to showcase support for our customers, uh, really importantly. But then, you know, also to continue to engage with consumers and then our own colleagues, you know, it's, it was tough for everybody, as I said previously. So lots of different things, whether it was, you know, sales support for customers, you know, they were building their own beer gardens. How do we support that? You know, there was kegs sitting in, in cold rooms that were, mm. you know, what we couldn't expect them to dispose of them. So picking them up, disposing, uh, disposing them responsibly, replenishing free of charge. Like these things kind of sound normal, but hasn't a big impact on people. Yeah. Uh, Look at, I guess, the, the campaigns that, that, that we ran. Again, we, we wanted to encourage people to go back to their local, to these people's businesses in a, in a safe and responsible way. And we wanted to then reward these people's staff, you know, these bar staff who, again, it's, you've got your pub owners, but you've also got your barman or your bar, bar lady who has, has been out of work for yeah. so long. What could we do to reward them for staying resilient? A program that, that that is helping them, and then from a colleague perspective, you know, we 
we kind of a sounds of a cheesy maybe, but we kind of think of ourselves as a bit of a green army because we're so invested in the in the business and our brands. And there was a lovely opportunity for for us to give everybody in the business 250 euros uh, to go out and spend in their local bars okay, as a yeah. gesture and a, as a as a thing. And I think when you you should think of all these things in isolation again. For man to man, they're all quite simple and they're quite quite obvious things. Why wouldn't you do it? But when you bring it all together, it becomes quite powerful, and it's something you know we're super proud of in the impact of it now. With as the the hospitality sector reopens, yeah, and I and I think that's a great example because of an idea. As you said, well, just creativity running throughout the business, but also an idea, fresh beginnings. It wasn't just a TV campaign. It's something that kind of touched different parts of the business and. You know, you effectively brought it right through to taking, you know, supporting the pubs, literally, um, you know, supporting them with with custom, which is great. This is I want to talk about a couple of things that are just maybe not in the article, but they're, they're things that I've they've always struck me as kind of things I'd like to understand. So. A trend in marketing has been very much towards globalization. So you're seeing less and less work being created for individual markets. So like when I started, there'd be campaigns, Dairy Milk would run a campaign in Ireland, a completely different ad for the, the consumer in the UK, same you know, pretty much the same kind of exact same bar of chocolate and slightly different, not that different. But you'd get, you know, the marketing director maybe in Ireland or the brand manager going, oh no, but that ad in the UK is not going to work in Ireland. And it probably would have. But this idea of it's a fine line about making one ad. It's really hard to make an ad, one piece of communications that's kind of kind of resonate everywhere. Because you talked about how important it is to resonate. So I'd love to get a bit of insight on how tricky that can be. So like, how does that work? How does the process work about creating a global ad? Are you are you handed global assets down to and said, here you go, you got to deploy these? Or is there an opportunity for, for you to opt out if you feel that, well, listen, that creative's fine, but it's just, it's, it's not right for Ireland for whatever reason. How does it work? So I think it's all about balance. I think, you know, Everybody would love to be making their own ads every single year. I think if, if I asked some colleagues, they'd like a they'd like an ad for Cork and an ad for Dublin and yeah. an ad for Perth. Yeah. It's not it's not feasible, you know. And I, and I think the the balancing act is the key thing. So when we when we work with our global colleagues in Amsterdam, there is a huge array of campaigns that are developed and are made available. But it's up to every opco and each individual opco to almost like a like a shopping list. You kind of you can pick and choose which ads you feel are most relevant, right. uh, most aligned to the job that you have to do in in the market. And, and for us in Ireland, our job to be done would be very difficult to the guys over in the UK, for example. Mm-hmm. And I think then the opportunity is um, if there's something missing. And in our case, there was something missing at the start of this year for a, a rugby themed campaign then you can kind of, uh, it's a very collaborative process in terms of the, this is the opportunity. This is why we would want to do this. In our case, we had, we've got 25 years of heritage in, in the sport of rugby and, and, and something that's really important to us locally. And we wanted to make something that resonated with, with that local audience. And, and I think that that conversation you know, took place probably sort of October time, November time, mm. and, then, and then you work together on it. So we would have worked with with publicists Dublin, Jerry and the guys, and developed the local insight, developed the the kind of the strategic territories, but then very much working in collaboration with publicists Milan, who are kind of our Heineken global creative agency, the uh, Heineken team in, in Amsterdam, and I kind of likened that process as we wanted to deliver something because I think the challenge sometimes when you when you see a lot of local development is it feels very local. Yeah. And, and to say that, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it, it, it can feel cheaper or yeah. it can feel different or not at all. So what we wanted to do, our ambition very much was like, how could we create a campaign that could sit proudly alongside any of the global campaigns and look and feel tone, personality, yeah. but then inject that Irish smile and, yeah. and inject, relevance and the nuances that, that only we would have understood and, and that was a brilliant kind of period of development really but again it's not just us doing it you know it has to be done in you know hand in glove with with kind of the global teams because they are at the end of the day they're they're the guardians of the brand globally across all of the markets and 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 i think with the acceleration of digital and the acceleration of the fact that you now don't need to be sitting in New York to see a campaign that's running in New York is similar. We couldn't, you know, we had to, you know, very finely balanced kind of nuances mm. in terms of things that would resonate here, but things that don't alienate if it was seen somewhere else. Yeah. 
that was kind of the process. And I, I kind of think on a personal level, sometimes when as marketeers, we sometimes it's easy to jump on on the negative side of global campaigns. I think you also have to take a look at ourselves to say, well, the creative is, is but one tool. You know, what we do locally with the assets that are are offered, you know, there's so many opportunities to put your own top spin on things to, to amplify at the end of the day, a 30 second TV ad is a 30 second TV ad, mm. but it's, it, it has to be as a part of a bigger piece. So, for, you know, what, I'd be putting more energy in, in, in terms of how do we, how do we amplify the message or the, the meaning of a brand ad locally and whether it's XP, whether it's PR to really reinforce that meaning at a local level rather than kind of bitch and moan around yeah. that campaign that isn't does, it doesn't matter to us in Ireland even though it matters to 100 countries yeah. everywhere else yeah you know? yeah that makes sense and a lot of the ads and we said this before that there's a kind of the effortlessness to them um, and and not overcomplicating things that, that, that just don't need to be overcomplicated but the good thing about a lot of you, you mentioned the rugby ad or even the, the Euros ad the inside there's a universal truth to that ad that will that will you know transcend different countries and geographies and territories Um. But let, let's take a campaign that say is how how much input do you does Heineken Ireland have on on do you get a say in some of these ads that are going to be produced globally or like can you say earlier on we'd like to have our well we're small right I mean Ireland is small in terms of the marketing community we're, we're pretty small so do they listen to you or do they just say yeah thanks Mark and and just mute you while you're having your your point of view on a call and then say yeah don't listen to him do you have any input No I think you're right like I think obviously every market is unique every market is special every market is you know we do things differently here and on one hand you could you could stress to think well Jesus we're only we're a small rock on the edge of Europe Um, but I think actually from a from a a Heineken communications perspective uh, and from a brand perspective we are we also have confidence in the trust of our global colleagues because we're one of the best performing markets globally right from a brand perspective and you know the work that we then did with publicist dublin on the perfect match that again reinforced i guess our credibility and our create creativity for, at, a, at a global level so when you when you get opportunities to do to create stuff locally it then brings you to the top table i guess in terms of inputting into other campaigns at a very early stage and and, and we would be a you know, really proud to say that we, we are a go-to market for the team in Amsterdam when they are looking for whether it's feedback on an insight or feedback on a brief or feedback on, you know, a script. The vast majority of things that we launch in Ireland, we have been involved to a certain degree from the very beginning. And I, and I think it, it, you can only get to that stage when you've proven yourself at that global level. Mm. And, and I think, you know, even, even if I go, go back and I look at the campaign around Euro 2020, which happened this summer, the insight of that, uh, of that campaign around football rivalries and, and around coming back together, yeah. there was a, a familiarity between the insight behind that campaign and the insight behind our own rugby campaign. You mm-hmm. know, that that insight that you know you can love your your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your mum and dad but if you if you support other teams yeah. then then for those that 80 minutes or yeah, that night yeah. it's all gloves are off and I, so i think you can kind of see your influence kind of broader across different campaigns and it's, and it's a brilliant place for us to be as an opco and something we'd be very proud of uh, locally you know do, do your irish agencies get a chance to pitch for any kind of campaigns that won't run in Ireland does that can, do they get opportunities to say we want to we want to pitch for for a big global campaign that's going to run everywhere does that ever happen do they get that chance so in terms of like not very often um i i think there there is a there's a ways of working that is consistent and again it comes back to that consistency yeah. i think what we've seen in the past there there are always opportunities whether you're an agency in dublin or you're an agency in milan or amsterdam if you're demonstrating that you're doing good work then there are the opportunities will come. And we have had we have examples recently and also in the past where agencies who've started off as Heineken Ireland agencies, but then they've gone on to work on global campaigns. And, right. that, and again, if you if it's demonstrated the the impact that is made, then then doors can open. And then you've got, I guess, on the other side where you know guys like you yourselves, you're part of that bigger global sort of network mm-hmm. and, and the opportunities then to kind of feed into uh, wider projects across Heineken globally and, and sharing whether it's case studies or best practices or, or things like that. So there's a kind of different relationship in those types of partnerships. But, you know, a good idea is a good idea regardless of where it comes from. Yeah. And, and I th- 
there's evidence that that you know to, with balance that it can be done. It just the consistency often uh, trumps trumps things, you know. Yeah, and it's a great point because I even know from our, from our side of things. I think we we did a we did a, a framework or a kind of journey around that kind of um, the, the rivalry journey, if you will, and we shared that on on global calls. And loads of marks said, "I'm going to rob that. I'm going to take that," which is actually great because I, I think you know the more we can, if it's if it's done somewhere else. And you can kind of say that makes total sense for my market. Yeah, use it. So yeah, so I've seen that happening quite a lot, which is great. Um, I also think one of, one of the things which in terms of consistency, I noticed this like the lack of dialogue in your ads. Um, you don't use any VOs, and I think that kind of helps. It's a tone, it's a, a style. It's not kind of you know script scripted. Can kind of the nuances of, of having a voiceover can can sometimes is why ads don't work in certain territories. So I think that's a really clever thing that you've done in terms of um, consistency and marketing, not to be voiceover heavy. But I'm gonna I'm gonna just pick up on something else because we talked about this. We kind of nodded to it earlier on. We, you, you talked about how you, you can kill the, the purity of a, of a brilliant idea. And I think one of the ways that we kill those ideas is that we we kind of slowly chip away at them. So pre-testing ads, I understand why clients do it. And it, this is something that polarizes opinion. I understand why clients have to do it because in, in, in the one hand, on the one hand, we want to kind of, as best we can, de-risk something before it goes out into the world. And it's kind of, I think sometimes it's a lot of like, it's just cover your arse to a degree in sometimes because people say, well, I tested it and it worked really well. But then the thing I struggle with is, and I've seen it happen, I've seen a creative agency's idea that they won a pitch for. And you go, that's amazing because their creativity has been kind of unleashed and been, it's a really pure idea. And then I, I fast forward nine months of what's gone out, what makes it onto TV. And it's just been, you know, an edge taken off there, chipped away there, the language. And what, it's very different. And I don't know what point it changes because that was a brilliant that was a brilliant ad, a brilliant idea, and it's poorly executed. So the question I have is, why do Heineken hire creative agencies and then place so much trust in the opinion of Joe Public? Like, what's the point? The thing I, the thing I, like, what's the point in buying a dog and barking yourself? I don't understand why the consumer knows more than the creative agency. And I'm not saying you do that. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't do a huge amount of, of kind of link testing and stuff like that. But why do we rely so heavily on, on the opinion of people who aren't experts in creativity? Because we know consumers don't, don't know what they want a lot of the times. Yeah, and it goes back to this is the this is the Henry Ford uh, quote where he said what the, what if you ask consumers what they want, it's say a faster horse. Or, yeah, or something like that. exactly. Like, so it's like, I think I think from our perspective, there is a role for testing. It's not to try and ask a consumer, do you think this is a good idea? Because mm-hmm. you have to be comfortable to judge creative based on does the insight resonate? Does the insight is it answering the job to be done, and is what the brand's looking to do? So for me, it's not about it's not necessary, but covering your arse on is this a good idea or not, or should we make this ad or not? Uh, and, and for me, and, and and the approach again that we we would take within Heineken Ireland is around uh, finessing some of the nuances. So you know, let's take an example. One of the I guess the KPIs or the the action standards on on a, on a link test is it would be around a brand impact and how how recognisable is this brand. Is this ad and this brand together? And again, if you think of the world of consistency that we've talked about, mm-hmm. it's no point in having the greatest ad effort in the history of mankind if nobody knows which brand is for. And I think what what testing in that sense allows you to do is is minimize. It's not it's not to change the idea, but it's to minimize the amount of investment that you would have to put in to the on to the media on a campaign to allow it to cut through after you launch it. Because it will take longer for that ad to wear in if people don't recognize it straight away which brand is for. Yeah. So for me, it's around, it's around, it's not about asking a consumer, do you like this idea and what would yeah, you change? Yeah. You have to be clever with it. And I think people who use it as a stick to hit agencies over the head with it is the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. But I think there's definitely a role if you're trying to look at it from a holistic perspective. Because again, you can create a campaign for I don't know anything for a hundred from a hundred grand to a million a million quid. Yeah. Then putting your your advertising support behind it, it could be again anything from a hundred grand to five million quid. Yeah, yeah. You need to be efficient with your spend, and and I think that is the sign of campaigns and ads that that test well. It's not always because it's you know you, you if you wanted to create an ad that will test well in link in link test, it's a very different ad that will actually work in the real world. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, it's about trying to understand little things to help once the campaign is released to make it more effective rather than critiquing the idea or critiquing the the music. 
as you said, you know, we pay agencies very good money and and, and, and agency staff are paid very well to, to do that work. Why would you go out and ask somebody who's got no understanding or little understanding of what goes into a creative process to tell, tell somebody who's done it for 25 or 30 years what a good idea is or not? Yeah. And part of the reason I think is that, is that because cause sometimes you have to, you have to do things very differently. The famous example I worked on at the time is the media agency was the Cadbury's Gorilla campaign. Bombed, it bombed the folks. Everyone hated it. It broke every rule. The product's not in it. It's nothing to do with the category. You don't know what's going on. It makes no sense, but it was just so different. And if you, you, you look at Byron Sharp's work, it kind of ticked a lot of those boxes in terms of creating fame for the campaign. But I guess well, as as I know, then it became quite difficult. The difficult second album that was a hard one to follow up on, and the expectation was so high. But yeah, um, I, I hear what you're saying. It's not about asking the, the focus group, "Hey, do you like this creative idea?" You're kind of asking them for their input and things that make sense in the process. It's funny. I go back. I go back to what I said at the start. I, sometimes it's more important what the cleaner in the office tells you. Yeah. I think that's where you get. If you bring it back to what's real and what's effective, and what's bringing it back to people. You, you can you can get a sense of that very quickly uh, in different ways. And I think the role of testing is really important, but it's, mm. it has to be done for the right reasons rather than, than the wrong reasons. Yeah, totally agree. I'm not going to keep you too much longer, just one or two questions. So Heineken is a truly global brand. So and the trade-off with that is that, you know, as you talked about, kind of creative freedom or, or the, you know, you can't just go off and decide I'm going to, not that you'd want to, I'm going to sponsor, you know, Bohemians or whatever the case may be, or maybe you could. Um, but one of the brilliant things that you have, you you get these assets, like you get Bond, you get Champions League, you know, you get rugby. So do you ever feel like you'd you'd like more creative freedom, um, i.e. working on a brand in an Irish-only campaign? Or do you actually, like, I'm talking about you here in terms of your role, or do you prefer these bigger global brand projects? I think, again, balance is, I guess, not a cop-out answer, but balance is the name of the game. And, and I think, for me, it would be a trade-off if the only thing I was judged on was adverts. Mm. And if I was if I was solely wanted to be judged on adverts, I wouldn't work a uh, uh, client side. I'd work I'd work in an advertising agency. Mm. So for me, you know, I think it's really interesting. A lot of the podcasts of yours that I've listened to that that question of generalists versus specialists comes up quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, and for me, and and my kind of personal interest is if I want to make an impact across an organization. Obviously, creative work is important. Uh, obviously, campaigns are important, as that's the, the I guess the most obvious consumer-facing part of my role. But it's not the only part of my role. And you add in your events, your XP, your PR campaigns, your media planning, your innovation, mm-hmm. your beat activation, the commercial conversations. You know, that's that's more than enough to kind of keep you engaged and busy. And and I think that that for me is where I get a lot of energy. Is it's the sum of the whole rather than you know. Uh, I wouldn't pretend to be the most creative person in the world. I think I've got okay creative judgment and, yeah. and I've got work with me who are much better at that than I am. Um, but it's it's about having the right people with, alongside you who do the different kind of roles within that kind of world. And for me, it's it's once you have that balance and you're able to do things that give you energy to get up in the morning, you know, my job's not a job. My job's a, a, a hobby that I happen to get paid for and it's, it's, right. it's fun and it's entertaining and I meet know so many people from so many walks of life and that's what gives you energy whether it's you're kind of given assets or given stuff from a central region or a central team and, and deploy them or you're creating your own it's kind of secondary yeah because yeah it's only one part of it yeah okay i'll buy that i'll let you i'll let you <laughs> offer that with that so i feel you slightly fudged that a little bit but i'm gonna let you off with it um <laughs> in your article you kind of you you summed up or you ended off by saying that while you know, as we return to things that were familiar, you, you've said the way you say it is, it'd be fruitless to go back to the uh, to the you know, how we did things before. So, what learnings have you taken during the, the pandemic, and have you changed anything about how you're going to do things, either as a business or even personally going forward? I think personally, you know, I think I think the nine to five era is is gone, and I think we've all proven that you don't have to be at your desk, yeah, Monday to Friday to to be able to d- deliver. You know, that's kind of, I guess, an obvious. So I think that there's things you need to bring forward from from the negative side of, of, of the pandemic. I think from a brand perspective, I think there's an opportunity for us as for us as a brand to remember that, you know, there are so many opportunities and ways of engaging consumers mm. and aging people. Doing the same thing as we did three or four years ago, because of the change in people's lives, because if you look at what's important to a 20-year-old now. You know, if you talk to a student who's just gone to university for the first time, 
they are totally different to when you and you and I were going to uni mm. for the first and that's kind of an obvious thing again but but the acceleration of that change probably in the last 18 months has been quite extreme so i think when you're when you're looking ahead you're looking at you know what the role of brand communications will have changed the role of xp will have changed yeah. i think as well just bringing it back to that role of creativity you know it's not just for marketeers and our agencies to bring creativity into an organization mm. and and i think it comes back to that fundamentally you know we we all and I think I can't remember which one of your podcasts somebody mentioned it. But we were all creative, yeah. But it's just where you bring it to the table and, yeah. and and how you bring it to the table. And for me, then as marketeers, we shouldn't be possessive of of we are the guard, guardians of creativity. Mm-hmm. Our role more going forward is to facilitate creativity across an organizations to bring creativity from different functions because then you get that mix and you get that diversity and you get that different sense of what's going to be impactful, not only from a consumer perspective, but from like colleagues and yeah. customers, everything, you know? So there's lots, there's lots to kind of, I guess, ponder on as we get through the next few weeks uh, and months. Let's get through Christmas first and, and, and then see what next year brings. Yes. True. Yeah. Here, here. Um, listen, Mark, it's been great. I think I cringe sometimes some of the mistakes that people make in marketing. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple. Like, I think we're afraid of simplicity. I think we we, we kind of want to, to make things seem to be more difficult than they are. And we're scared to kind of simplify things. So keep it simple. Keep it consistent as well, which is something the Heineken have done absolutely brilliantly. Um, just, just they've done it. They've stuck at it. Uh, and that's what people need. So, yeah. I mean, as I said, that Bond ad, if anyone hasn't seen that, that James Bond Heineken ad, just go have a look at it. Because, I mean, you'd nearly say, I can't believe it. The creative agency came up with this, but that's the beauty of it. When you, when you try too hard, I think it doesn't work. So thanks for joining me today, Mark. I hope it wasn't too bad for you. No problem. It's a pleasure. Yeah, great to have you. And all, as always, thanks to Kira in Marketing and Andrea on Sound. And thanks to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions who helped to make all this possible. If you like this episode, follow us, tell your colleagues, listen back to our back catalogue. You'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. So until next time, stay safe. Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.